0: Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Today, we tackle a widespread, beautiful weed whose cousin is a rather desirable plant, though. The weed? It's salt heliotrope, a close relative of the widely cultivated common heliotrope. And really, you don't want the salt heliotrope growing around your desirable plants. On the other hand, one of the showiest plants right now is Autumn Joy Sedum. We'll tell you all about this one. It's the plant of the week and a primer on using livestock watering troughs for permanent plants, as well as using them for annuals. It's on episode 147 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by SmartPots and Dave Wilson Nursery. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. We like to answer your garden questions here on the Garden Basics podcast. Debbie Flower is here to help us out, our favorite retired college horticultural professor. And Debbie, today's question comes from Connor, who lives in the San Ramon Valley of Mm -hmm. Northern California over in the Bay Area. He says, I'm growing hops. So we know that Connor likes beer. He says, (laughs) I'm growing hops in my garden patch, but a beautiful perennial salt heliotrope has popped up and formed a green carpet across the planting bed beneath the vertically grown hops. From what I've researched, this heliotrope is enjoyed by pollinators and is native to North America. It also seems to be acting like a mulch and protecting the soil from the hot sun, so I'd hate to remove it, but I'm worried it could be stealing nutrients from the hops. Are my assumptions fair, and do you have any suggestions for compromising? Well, uh, let's talk about plant competition, shall we? Mm -hmm. All right. You've got this pretty ground cover. Right. He sent a picture and it is very pretty. Yes. And it's a case of, uh, yeah, they both need food and water. Right. And they're both going to get it from the same source. Which one do you want to get more of the food and water, Connor? So
1: if he wants to compromise, he's going to have to uh, compromise in one way by adding enough food and water for everybody to be happy. I
0: can't believe, though, that he
1: planted this salt heliotrope
0: judging by the picture it looks like it spreads fairly easily it reminds me of
1: borage oh yeah borage i have borage Uh, i planted it purposely it's in the same family this plant is in the same family the salt heliotrope Mm. is in the same family as the borage and it uh the borage i planted close to my vegetable garden because it attracts bees and it's nice to have something to feed the bees all year round. There's borage and bloom almost all year round so that they ha- have a habit of coming to visit. And then they'll find the other things in the garden that will benefit from their uh, work. But I go out regularly and pull out its seeds prolifically. If I let it, all the seeds come up that, that it puts down Uh, they're less than an inch from each other and the plant gets quite large. There are just seeds everywhere and because it's near the vegetable garden it's getting regular water. It loves that as are Connor's salt helotrope and his hops getting regular water. So I am maintaining it. My compromise is that I leave some plants and I pull out a whole bunch of other ones. According
0: to the California Invasive Plant Council, Connor, uh, salt heliotrope is considered an invasive, which means it will easily compete for water and nutrients with established plants. And I guess it's a poisonous plant, too.
1: Oh, I didn't get that part. Oh, well, to cattle. It causes liver damage in cattle and cattle prefer it over other things in the garden. So if it's around, they'll eat it before they'll eat other things. So if you're near, if you have any cattle of your own or you're near cattle farmers, uh, it it would be a service to remove it besides they'd be eating your hops too you probably
0: or, or at least <laughs> knocking them down right
1: <laughs> cattle so. just inhale what's what's nearby and yeah. then they sit down and burp up what they just ate and then chew their cud and that's how they digest it
0: so even from just a competition standpoint it probably would be best if you uh, removed that salt heliotrope but we come back to um a way to do that that you bring up quite often, and it makes a heck of a lot of sense. Instead of yanking out the plants, just cut them back at the base. But mm-hmm. can you do that with salt heliotrope? Will you be out there
1: every week doing the same thing? Well, it can reproduce not only by seed but also by root pieces. Oh, and so move, Connor, move. Right, cutting it off at the base is not going to do it. However, when you if you visit or look at grape orchards, they often have grasses. in in their aisles, um, because some maybe have nothing in their aisles, the aisle being the space between the the rows of the vines. But a lot of them have grasses, which is also another great competitor in terms of taking nutrition and water. But they have it there because they need something to walk on or drive the equipment on during, especially during wet periods. I'm not as worried about the competition as I am about this plant getting away from him. It can reproduce. Everything he said is true. It is native to the North America. It is a pretty plant. It probably is very attractive to bees. It is shading the soil, but it is also using soil and uh, excuse me, water and nutrition that could go be going to the hops. But if he takes it out, what's going to be in the aisles? But if he doesn't take it out, where is this plant going to go? If he uses equipment that then goes elsewhere in his yard, I'm talking about shovels or rakes or uh, power equipment. Or goes to someone else's property, the chances are he could be taking that plant to that other place mm. in his oh, yard yeah. or to the other property, and yeah. then it will take off again. And that, to me, is the danger of this plant.
0: How about cutting it off at the base, mm-hmm. carefully removing all the removed parts and mm-hmm. putting it in the trash, making sure not to drop any all the way to the trash? Mm-hmm. And then putting down maybe six inches of a straw mulch in that area because you're going to get the effect of it cooling the soil, which seems to be one of Connor's goal with having this plant. Yes. And by six inches of a straw mulch, you'd be denying those roots as they uh, germinate of uh, any sunlight and reducing their chances of uh, surviving.
1: Yeah, I don't think they'll die with the first round of straw mulch. I think you'll have to be on top of it be checking it out, have extra mulch nearby hmm. that, and be ready to cut the, the new tops out that appear and cover them with some more mulch. But I think mulch would make a great, if if he removed the, the salt heliotrope one way or another, mulch will make a great uh, replacement. I also believe that even if he pulls it out, he won't get rid of it <laughs> because it will come up from the roots. Unlike the borage. I have the borage. Yeah. That would be a nice alternative potentially for him, although it itches like crazy when it touches your bare skin. But it does not reproduce from from stems or roots. The saltileotrope can reproduce from root pieces.
0: This just sounds like a dressed up version of Bermuda grass. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. It's, Which wow. is something that often ends up in, in vineyard isles, which is what made me think of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. OK. So so Connor, there you go. Uh, the quicker you get on this, the better.
1: Yes. Don't let it go to seed. Yeah. It may be too late for that, but don't let all those lovely flowers you sent. We see in the picture you sent go to seed because the more seed you get, the more chance of it spreading. And we'll have that picture on today's oh, podcast
0: good. so you people can uh, uh, check it out, too. Salt Heliotrope. And in this particular instance, it is uh, Heliotropium...
1: Curassum. Am- Amplexi- Amplexicali is no, the, the California invasive. That's not the one he has. We don't know which one he has. Well, I did some research and I'm... Oh, okay. Well, la-dee-da. <laughs> research. The, the, the Amplexicali has blue flowers. They're okay. Quite dark blue flowers. And these are kind of pinkish? These are whitish, pale. Yeah. yeah. And that is the uh, Curassicum? Curassicum. Curassicum. Which is still invasive. Yes. It's still invasive, but it is native. So, so native, I'm, I'm a big native fan of native plants because it, it uh, provides what native insects and animals need mm-hmm. uh, and hopefully does, grows better in my environment. But native is, uh, it's a relative term. Some plants are native to the U.S. Other plants are native to the Sacramento Valley. There, there's a difference in those. Uh, and native does not mean it won't be invasive given certain conditions Even native plants can be invasive.
0: And I guess, Connor, you couldn't even uh, preserve it in a container to grow because it's a pretty plant because of the seed production and the seed will spread in the wind. Yeah. You're screwed, Connor. (laughs) Enjoy the beer. (laughs) Thank you, Debbie. (laughs) You're welcome, Fred. On today's show, we discussed a rather invasive weed that unfortunately is very pretty and you might be tempted to keep it around. The salt heliotrope. You may have never heard about it. You may have never seen it. Well, we have more information about salt heliotrope available in the latest Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter on Substack. Also in the latest newsletter edition, more information and pictures about the plant of the week, Autumn Joy Sedum, and more details about growing blueberries in watering troughs. As the newsletter grows, so will the subject matter. So yes, it will be a good supplement for the Garden Basics podcast, but there will be a lot more garden-related material, pictures, and maybe a mini-podcast or video garden tips as well. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter on Substack. And best of all, it's free. There's a link in today's show notes. Or just go to Substack.com and do a search for Garden Basics with Farmer Fred. That's Substack.com slash Garden Basics. That's one word, Garden Basics. Think of it as your garden resource that goes beyond the basics. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter, and it's free. We're glad to have Smart Pots on board supporting the Garden Basics podcast. Smart Pots, it's the original award winning fabric planter. It's sold worldwide, and Smart Pots are proudly made 100% in the USA. Smart pots come in a wide array of sizes and colors. If a frost or freeze is in the forecast, moving your frost-tender plants that are in the smart pots that have handles make them easier to move closer to the house for added warmth, or you could even move them inside for the winter. Visit smartpots.com slash fred for more information about the complete line of SmartPots lightweight, colorful fabric containers. And don't forget that slash fred part, because on that page are details of discounts when you buy SmartPots at Amazon. If you want to see them before you buy, SmartPots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit smartpots.com fred. From the garden email bag, Robert writes in and says, I'm thinking about getting a few of those metal watering troughs for my winter greens, such as lettuce and kale. And I might use them for next spring's tomatoes, peppers, and blueberries. Do I need to get the deeper troughs or will the more shallow troughs work? And what is a good soil to use? Also, how would caneberries do in those troughs? Oh, I'm a big fan of those water troughs, Robert. How about using both sizes? Winter greens are shallow-rooted. They do fine in the smaller watering troughs, which are about a foot high, two feet wide, and four feet long. The larger troughs are better suited for tomatoes, peppers, and blueberries. Those troughs are two feet high, two feet wide, and they're available in different lengths, usually in four- and six-foot lengths. These stainless steel galvanized troughs are readily obtained from a good farm supply store and online as well. And while you're there, uh, pick up some oil based enamel tractor paint and primer for those shiny sun blinding silver troughs to match your surrounding decor. You could probably get paint to match the color of your house, especially if your house is painted Kubota orange, John Deere green or yellow, International Harvester blue, or Ford red or blue. Well, whatever you decide to plant, good drainage is key. Cut several one-inch holes in the bottom of the troughs. Don't rely on that drain plug on the side of the trough to siphon off all that excess water in the soil. Also raise the containers off the ground by a couple of inches. That'll avoid clogging of the drain holes. And by the way, don't plant tomatoes and blueberries together. They have different pH requirements. Blueberries like a very acidic soil mix with an ideal pH around 5.5. Tomatoes, on the other hand, prefer something between 6 and 7. For those blueberries, use a soil mix that's one-third camellia-azalea potting soil, peat moss, and small pathway bark, along with a handful of soil sulfur. Blueberries need consistently moist soil as well, along with good drainage. Because those metal containers can heat up in the summer in, in hot climates, place them where they can get some afternoon shade. And that's another reason to paint them as well. For tomatoes and peppers, any high quality potting mix intended for vegetables will do the job. Caneberries, if you're talking blackberries, raspberries and boysenberries, they would do better in those deeper watering troughs. But consider your height and how you're going to support those cane berries, because cane berries can get rather tall, so starting them two feet above ground level might put you at a disadvantage come picking time. Uh, The birds will thank you, though. Place those troughs near a fence in order to trellis those canes, or build a trellis around the troughs to give you a place to tie the canes. Blackberries and raspberries can grow in many soil types, but prefer soil on the slightly acidic side with a pH between, oh, about six up to about seven. Any good quality potting mix intended for acid loving plants would be ideal for caneberries. University of California has a great uh, website called the California Garden Webpage, and they say raspberries require full sun for best growth and fruit production but most cultivars may need some afternoon shade for best performance if you live in a hot valley. Blackberries are well adapted to California, as most will perform well in hot inland areas and along the coast. Blackberries do well throughout most of the country, as a matter of fact. They require full sun for best production, although blackberries do well in a variety of soil types, but they do perform best in well-drained sandy loam or loam soils. It's the next step up in container gardening. It's using livestock water troughs. They're great. If you're thinking of growing fruit trees, or maybe you already have your own backyard full of fruit trees, well, you probably have a million questions. Like which fruit trees will grow well where I live? What are the tastiest fruits to grow? How do I care for them? What are the most important things to know when starting a backyard orchard? Well, the good news is those answers are just a click away with the informative videos that you can find at DaveWilson.com. That's Dave Wilson Nursery, the nation's largest grower of fruit trees for the backyard garden. At DaveWilson.com, you'll also find planting tips, taste test results, fruit variety recommendations, and links to nurseries in your area that carry Dave Wilson fruit trees. Your harvest to better health begins at DaveWilson.com. Every week, we like to talk with Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum and Public Garden. He is their superintendent emeritus, one of the wisest plant people I know. Also kind of a wiseacre as well, but he knows his plants, and today is truly a plant for autumn. I love today's plant, Warren, because... It reminds me of a little umbrella that changes color as the season progresses, and this time of year, it's this, it's, it's this rusty brown that's just so gorgeous, uh, uh, growing in the garden, and it's uh, it's a sedum, and it's
2: autumn joy. Yes, uh, the the group of sedums uh, that include autumn joy are sometimes put in the generic name telephium, t e l e p h i u m, but the, the one of the main uh, Parents of these groups of hybrids or selections is Sedum telephium, and Sedum telephium occurs right across from Europe eastward to Japan. Has really wide, wide range. And you're right; they kind of look like little umbrellas uh, on, on leafy stems, and the leaves are usually kind of a pale green and uh, fleshy. It is. A, it is a succulent, for sure. And the Sedum telephium itself it has been known and grown uh, in Europe for a long time. But then as the as European culture spread, <laughs> we can say invaded, but we could just say spread, to the east, uh, another species uh, came uh, into uh, cultivation, and that was Sedum spectaboli. Spectabilia in Latin means, I think, means uh, spectacular. (laughs) Uh, And they look much the same as the Sedum telephium. And one of the most famous hybrids of those two species is called Sedum autumn joy. Uh, The original name for this is Herbstfreude, which means autumn joy in German, I think. And the typical, the most, I guess, widely cultivated of these, autumn joy, Uh, has rounded clusters of pink blossoms that open in late summer and then age to a rusty, coppery color that uh, stays with them uh, on right on through winter. The leaves turn uh, yellow and drop off, but the stems with the the seed heads, I guess you'd call them at that point, uh, stay uh, on in the garden, and they're, what, a foot to a foot and a half uh, tall, don't need any staking really and as soon as the plant starts to uh go dormant you look at the base of the plant the stems and the, these little rosettes these little little tiny green roses uh, coming up out of the ground and that those will be next year's stems
0: so the plant so very, does die back in the winter
2: it does die back and then you have to, once after a while the the uh these uh seed heads which look very nice will start to look a little bit disheveled and at that point then just clip them back to the ground and already you'll see the new, the new growth coming up. So it's an easy plant. It's successful in most gardens. Um, you know, it needs reasonably good drainage. And uh, since it is native to areas that get summer rain, a little irrigation in, in Mediterranean climate areas is a good idea. A useful uh, plant in the perennial border and easily propagated by divisions, this is one of those over-the-back-fence kind of plants that has been shared amongst people uh, for hundreds of years.
0: It's uh, You've mentioned that it is a succulent. I guess it's uh, in the Crassulaceae family.
2: It is in the Crassulaceae, And the genus Sedum, which is a really big genus, is well represented, in, for example, in Mexico and even in California and Oregon. It's a pretty widespread genus. The, the common name is Stonecrop. I guess refers to the fact that it's often seen growing in rocks and looks like a crop, I suppose. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> at, at any rate, that's that's a bit of background. But there are many many cultivars and hybrids uh, uh, of the uh, these, particularly these two species. Uh, Sedum telephium and Sedum spectabile.
0: And Autumn Joy has a very colorful history uh, throughout its growing season, uh, changing colors and until uh, fall when you get, like you mentioned, that sort of rusty coral look, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. It is the Sedum Autumn Joy. Check it out. You just might want one for your garden, no matter where you live. You might want two or three. Maybe your neighbor has them. Take some cuttings. They root easily. Another great plant of the week from Warren Roberts, Superintendent Emeritus of the UC Davis Arboretum and Public Garden. Visit their website for more information: arboretum.ucdavis.edu. Warren, once again, thanks for a great plant of the week. You're welcome, Fred. That was fun. <laughs> Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast has a lot of information posted at each episode, transcripts, links to any products or books mentioned during the show. Plus, you can just listen to the portions of the show that interest you. It's been divided into easily accessible chapters. There's other helpful links for even more information, including info about the new Garden Basics newsletter. And just like the podcast, it's free. Plus, you'll find more information about how to get in touch with us. Leave an audio question without making a phone call via SpeakPipe. Go to speakpipe.com slash gardenbasics. It's easy. Give it a try. You can also use your phone to call or text us the question and pictures. 916-292-8964. 916-292-8964. And you can email us, fred at farmerfred.com. And if you tell us where you're from, that's going to help us out greatly to accurately answer your garden questions, because as I'm fond of saying, all gardening is local. In the show notes, you'll find links to all our social media outlets, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And there's a link to the FarmerFred.com website. And if you would please, if you hear something you like on the podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Thank you. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday. It's brought to you by SmartPots. Garden Basics is available wherever podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Google, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and Pocket PocketCasts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.